Kevin Hines, thank you so much for uh, being on Thinking Bigger with Kevin Feely. We're here in Atlanta, Georgia. My first time here. Okay. And uh, yeah, so thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here with you. Yeah, of course. So uh, tell everybody a little bit about what you're known for, and then we'll dive a little deeper into um, uh, your specific story and uh, your mission and all that. But tell everybody a little bit about who Kevin Tynes is. Sure. So, you know, I like to paint a full picture. So born in abject poverty, lived in and out of crack motels in the beginning of my life, uh, taken away from my birth parents, adopted by a beautiful family. Before I was adopted in foster care, my brother died very tragically. We both got bronchitis in a home filled with neglect. He passed away. Hmm. I was a survivor from the very beginning, and I ended up uh, being taken in by the Heinz family. They made me their son. They are mom and dad. Pat and Debbie love you. And they gave me, my brother and my sister, a future we would have never had. From, two, from three different families into one, a melting pot of a family. Me, I'm mixed. My brother's black, my sister's white, Pat and Debbie are Irish and German. I always say when people saw us walking down the street, they were confused, you know, yeah. didn't know what was going on. But we didn't care. We were happy. And growing up in that household, everything was going great. From my very traumatic infancy, my childhood and adolescence was incredible. And as I got older and into high school, I really was like thinking to myself, I got it made in the shade. You know, I've got everything a kid could ever want or need. So blessed in that way. But not without hard work by Pat and Debbie Hines, right? And I really thought nothing can go south or sideways from here. Until at 17, my brain broke. I had a complete mental breakdown in front of 1,200 people at a theater show I was playing one of the leads in, and I had to run off stage mid-play, and the teacher had to come play the rest of my role for the remainder of that, that those showings of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the theatrical play. And I ended up going to see a psychiatrist. They diagnosed me with major depression. They put me on major depressive medications. I skyrocketed into mania, mm -hmm. which is what happens when someone actually has bipolar depression. So they re-diagnosed me with bipolar depression, been triply diagnosed with that in my lifetime by three different doctors. But I was on this like rocky road of, you know, I don't have this disease. I don't want it. I was, I was a WCIL wrestling champion. My football team would go to state. Um, I was on the speech and debate team for two days before they kicked me off, but I was there. <laughs> yeah. You know? I was the kid who was eclectic and doing so much and, and really, even at that young age, so successful. And then it all stopped. It all came crashing down. And I was, I was at the time what I thought to be broken. Mm -hmm. I was devastated. And I was in denial. I don't have bipolar disorder. What the hell is that? I don't want that. I don't be labeled mentally ill for the rest of my life. So screw that. So I would go and I would binge drink until blackout on the weekends. Um, on psychotropic meds, which could have hurt me really bad or killed me. Um, and by 19 years of age, the, the weight of the depression on my shoulders, it just became too much to bear. Mm. And at 19, specifically on September 24th of the year 2000, I wrote that note, suicide note. 
my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my best friend, and my girlfriend at the time. I told them I love them. I told them I was sorry. I asked for their forgiveness. I put the note in my shoulder bag, the shoulder bag by the door. And on the morning of the 25th, I made my way out to the Golden Gate Bridge to attempt to take my life. A method of suicide that was 99.9% fatal. A method of suicide that less than 1% of people survive. And I didn't know anybody could survive that attempt. I thought it was final. I wish I knew back then what I know today. That my thoughts do not have to become my actions. They can simply be my thoughts. They don't have to own, rule, or define what I do next. And so at the bridge, I, I remember the bus ride there, crying profusely, waterfalls flowing from my eyes, mucus dripping from my nose, yelling aloud at the voices I was hearing in my head, leave me alone, I don't want to die, what did I ever do to you, I'm a good person, why do you hate me so much? On a bus filled with 100 people, nobody says anything except for the guy next to me who goes, what the hell's wrong with that kid to the guy next to him? Laughing at my pain. That's what's wrong with some of society. This innate human ability we have to see someone in the greatest lethal emotional pain they could have ever experienced and feel nothing for them but fear of them and apathy toward them. That's his or her problem, but it ain't mine. I got things to do, people to see, and places to go. I formidably disagree with that way of thinking. We are nothing else in this beautiful planet. We are each other's brothers and sisters keepers. Mm. We're not here for personal betterment or gain. We have a sole and singular purpose on this planet, whether we know it or not, to give back. You do it in your podcast every day. To give back to those we know, those we love, those we don't know from Adam, and those we don't even like. What we are not meant to do is hurt each other or damage each other with our words or our actions. But that's not how the world exists. There's far too much abuse, neglect, hate, violence in the world that exists today. And it's taking over our nation. It's taking over our world. Um, and I really believe that on that day, on September 25th, all I needed was for one person to see me, to see me and say, hey, brother, are you okay? Kid, is something wrong? Pal, can I help you? To be in that moment with me and say, Suicide is not the answer. It's not the solution to your problems because it is the problem. Suicidal ideations are the greatest liars. We know you don't have to listen to them. Had someone had the foresight and the foreknowledge to share with me that, that these thoughts I was having didn't have to lead to my end. They could have at the time led to me to walk into my father's room he was there in, in our house, willing and able to help me if I asked for it. So was my mother in her house. So was my brother and my sister and my family and my friends. Had I had the ability to say, I need help now. I'm suicidal. I don't know what to do. I don't want to die, but I believe I have to. Had I had the ability to articulate <clears throat> what I was going through could have saved me a world of pain and my family a world of hurt. Mm. But I didn't have that. I had these thoughts that overwhelmed me. I had hallucinations, auditory and visual, telling me I had to die. 
I had paranoid delusions, and, and, and this depression was so great, I couldn't bear it on my shoulders anymore. And so, yes, I went to the Golden Gate Bridge, and I leapt off. But the millisecond my hands left the rail, instantaneous regret for my actions and the absolute recognition that I just made the greatest mistake of my life, and it was likely too late. And for all those people in the last 88 years of that bridge being open, it's been too late. Thousands and thousands of people have leapt to their death off the Golden Gate Bridge. And so I remember after my attempt, being in the water, thinking, I'm, I'm going to drown. This is it. This is where I go. Going down in the water, not being able to come back to the surface. And something begins circling beneath me. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I didn't die jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge and a shark is going to eat me. You know, like, yeah. ah! Yeah. <laughs> and I'm punching this thing, but it's not going away. It's circling faster and faster, faster and faster. No longer am I wading or treading in the water. I'm lying at the top of my back being kept buoyant by this creature. I'm thinking to myself, it's one hell of a nice shark. <laughs> it turned out to be a sea lion. Yeah. And this is Herbert the sea lion that saved my life. And that's why it's my mascot and my, my logo. Uh, for my Beer Tomorrow merch. And we put that out to the world because everywhere people wear our Beer Tomorrow, Hope Help Heals, Keep On Keeping On merch, when they wear it in, at the gym, at church, in their in their neighborhoods, people walk up to them and go, what does that mean? Yeah. Because they have a preconceived notion of what it means. Right. And then the person enters into a dialogue and then they're having a conversation openly and honestly about suicide for the first time in their community. Mm. And they're telling, oh, my son attempted. Yeah. And this is how we got him help her. Or my father died by suicide and it broke our family. And this is what we're doing now to help other people with our foundation. So it sparks these real life, beautiful conversations that lead to hope and healing and recovery. And so, you know, I, I, uh, I was watching some of your content. And, and your issues with sobriety. And I was, I was looking at that. I was really, really interested in that. And one of the things you said in one of your pieces was, I'm not in recovery. I'm a person who is recovered. And, and I, don't, I, I don't, you know, you, you're not in that space of like, I'm always going to go back to drinking. Right. And I thought that was incredible because we have this notion in our society and there's a lot of programs that feed around this, this idea that I have to live in recovery for the rest of my life. Now, right. I, I've always said I'm in mental health recovery every day only because I still have all the symptoms I've ever had. Yeah, I still have paranoid delusions, hallucinations, auditory and visual, panic attacks, manias and depressions. I have all of that. And so I still have you know regular thoughts of suicide. I have to check myself and protect myself in all of that. And so I feel like I, I, I'm still in recovery. That's a, my personal opinion. Yeah, no. But, and, but and I totally validate like what you feel because I think that there's far too many people on the, on the alcoholism side of things and the Al-Anon side of things that will not commit to recovery. Yeah, right. And I see your point is what I'm saying. It's just a, I think there's a delineation between the two. Yeah, and, and I got completely roasted on TikTok. I mean, the video got... A bunch of views and a lot of engagement, a lot of people talking, and there's a big community of people who are in recovery on TikTok. I mean, yeah. obviously everywhere, but um, somebody made a really good comment that made me sort of uh, look at it from a different perspective. And they said, "Well, if you're recovered, 
then does that mean that you can go out and drink and not have any issues? Oh, and wow. I was like, you know what? I, I, think replied, about it, I think about it like that. You can't. I was like, no, I can't. So, so maybe, so, so maybe, maybe I'm not, you know, maybe uh, there's a balance. And that's, that's my thing is I think the balance is how we view ourselves on a subconscious level when it comes to mental health labels, right? When it comes to uh, sobriety, when it comes to like anything down to the money that you make or the the impact that you can have on the world, whatever your personal subconscious view that typically is ingrained in us from childhood is the thing that kind of expresses itself. So if you tell yourself constantly that I am, I am powerless over alcohol. Alcohol yeah. is completely control of me. That's not true. Like yeah. that part is gone. Yeah. That like, that is one thing that I have absolute confidence in. I'm not saying that I can't make mistakes, right. but I can tell you that there's one thing that I'm extremely confident about. It's that I will never drink again. Like it, it, something could change, but the way I feel now and the way I've felt for the last seven, almost eight years of being sober the moment that I decided to actually get sober, something changed on a subconscious level and I became a different person. And, but I think it's a really slippery slope. And just because that worked for me doesn't mean it works for everybody. You right. Know? You have to invite everybody in the foray to say, what, what, what do you feel? What do you need? What do you want out of this? Right. And I, I think that like, I relate to that because I know, even though I have regular thoughts of suicide, I'm never ever going to end my life right i know that and people say to me how can you say that what about when you're 61 and the pills don't work and and you're and you and you are suicidal and and this happens and and, and it leads that down that path no i'm not going to allow it to happen yeah because every time i get suicidal i'm going to do two things i mentioned one of them i'm going to mm -hmm. walk in into an area with a mirror i'm going to find a mirror any mirror anywhere i'm going to say my thoughts don't have to become my actions they can simply be my thoughts they don't have to own rule or define what i do next thus i never have to attempt or die by suicide ever number two i'm going to find the nearest person to me and if i was suicidal right now kevin i would tell you yep i would say i need help now yeah and what would you do i would help you you would help me and so not everyone's willing to help in that situation. Let's be honest. Yeah. Right. Not everyone is the right person to help in that situation. Yep. But I will search and find the person that is willing to help me until, until they appear. I will not stop saying I need help now until someone is willing to empathize with my pain. Yep. And that's the difference is I think that, you know, you're not going to drink again. I know I'm not going to take my life. And no matter what, what the outside noise is, um, it's, we're, we're going to keep living this, this life in a positive way yep. and helping other people along the path. Yep. And I stopped going to AA meetings a long time ago because of that whole ingrainment of you're, you're this powerless thing, but AA is a really great thing. And, and just like you said that you're going to ask for help, you know, when my sister passed away, I went to an AA meeting for the first time in probably a year or two. And I didn't necessarily think that I was going to drink. I didn't have any impulse to drink, but I knew that I was in a situation where I needed to go back to that foundation that helped me get sober and helped me become that better person and, and really just reconnect with that and uh, through a vulnerable time. So I think even when I know that I'm not going to drink, that could change. And I know that I'm human. And I know that that, th you know, that could change. So I just bring myself back to the foundation that I laid that helped me become and stay sober, you know, but at the end of the day, I really like how you said that that we're in control of our actions and our thoughts don't have to become yeah. our actions. And uh, 
Yeah, because if you think about it, you know, if I if I'm on the road and I'm driving, and I I and I and someone cuts me off, I have a choice to road rage or yeah. to not. Yeah, or to not. I can think about road raging and doing something stupid that would land me in jail. Yeah, and then I can go. My thoughts don't have to become my actions. Right. Because then I would be in jail. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go to jail. Yeah. You know, so so it's like add that to every aspect of your life that when you hit, when you hit a negative hardship in existence, if, if you or, or every place that you think something negative, hateful, spiteful, rageful, mean or horrible. Do those thoughts have to become your actions? Yeah. If you're an abusive person and you're trying to shift uh, your reality and you're trying to stop being an abusive person. Uh, physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever. Yeah. What are the, if you're thinking about doing something abusive, the next step is how do you stop it from getting into an action, right? Right. To, that, that gets you in trouble, that hurts somebody else. You know, so like it's it, every single aspect of our existence can be relayed down to our millions and millions of thought patterns every day. Mm-hmm. And if we just took a, took a check on, on what we're thinking before we act on it, right. so many people would have so less problems. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, wait a minute, I shouldn't do that. Here's why. Yeah. You know, and here's here are 10 reasons, here are 10 pros to not taking that action. Yeah. You know, right. Conversely, when you see something that you must do to to help someone else, yeah, to give back to someone who's in danger, you 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 can't think about it. You have to do. Right. And that's like, you know, like let let's say you see someone who's about to be hit by a car, but you have the ability to move them out of the way or pull them back to the curb right before you have to take that action. There's no thinking involved. Right. Um, so, so there's two sides to every coin. Yeah. Well, I think that one thing that people don't understand is we're hardwired to make the decisions that we make almost on autopilot. Actually, 99% of it is autopilot. Like, did you have to think about taking a sip right now? No, I had a tickle Uh in my throat. I I I needed to. Right. So you had a trigger and then you had a solution that your brain already is hardwired to know yeah. because you've built these neural pathways, these uh, neurons that fire and wire together that create yeah. these literal roads in your head. And you can change those roads just like a town yeah. can change and build new highways and stuff. One thing when I first got sober was I used to feel anxious and I would drink and that solved the problem. That was yeah. my trigger response and, and uh, reward. Right. Yeah. And when I got sober, I had to change that when I, uh, you know, there's this video, this guided meditation by these guys called the honest guys that I watched. I'm going to link it in the link below. So if anybody ever is having a hard time, this saved my life so many times. And, and it began to become that trigger response where I would feel anxious. And instead of drinking, I would turn on this video and I would listen. And what would happen was I would set a timer on my phone right when I would get anxious for an hour. I still do it to this day. And I would just say, if I can get through this next hour, I will be okay. Mm. Right. I don't know what it was, but putting some kind of time sense on it, nothing was going to happen. There was no, it was just this internal feeling of doom, whatever anxiety is, but these panic attacks and, and waves of anxiety would come over me. And, and instead of drinking, I would just put on this guided meditation and you know, it's like soft beach waves and the guy walks you through, you know, visualizing the stone and cleaning it off. And Mm. and anyways, my point is 
that time that I would feel like my anxiety was over went from being an hour to 59 minutes to 54 minutes all the way down to at one point I realized that I would turn the video on and the second it would start, I would feel better. It was like that, that safety thing for me. So I'm going to link that video down below. Um, those guys are phenomenal and, uh, the honest guys. Yeah. The honest guys. So, um, I'll check that out. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But sure that can help. yeah, but, but you know, I, I think it's really important because again, like when it comes down to labels and things, people think that they are broken and they're not broken. We all are unique. And I think that we all have our own individual faults and, and, uh, issues and things that maybe are not perfect, but that's what makes us unique. But also we need to individually find out how to harness it and control it and, and overcome the challenges. Now, my question for you is, I know that there were three things that happened, your three miracles when you jumped off the bridge. Can you talk about those three miracles? Yeah, sure. So uh, what I didn't describe was that when I was on the bridge looking down, um, there was a woman uh, driving by in a red car who saw me go over the rail at the moment of my attempt, called her friend in the Coast Guard, who happened to be manning the waters of the bridge at that moment. They got to my position in the water before I would set in hypothermia and drown because of that woman's phone call. In the water, the sea line kept me afloat until the Coast Guard boat arrived. Coast Guard picked me out of the water. That was really the third miracle. They put me in a neck brace. They strapped me in front of the toe, and they started asking questions. Kid, do you know what you just did? Yeah, just jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. Why? I thought I had to die today. Do you understand, son, how many people we pull out of these waters that are already gone? No, and I don't want to. We're going to tell you anyway. And they broke it down, and it was terrifying. Um, they had, they had, They had seen... 26 dead people and one live one me. Mm. <laughs> seen 26 dead people and one live one me. And so uh, one of the officers had, had seen 57 dead bodies in his career and one live one me. Yeah. And so you put that into perspective, it's, it's pretty intense. And they go, those officers go through so much. Yeah. They go through so much and they're, they're, and they're struggling with all kinds of things right now because of what they've seen. And it's hard for them to get the treatment they need because um, they haven't seen combat. They, they, they save lives from the water and people don't get how horrific it can be. Uh, the, the bodies that are bloated and just uh, filled with water and the blood vessels are all popped. It's horrifying yeah. to see. Yeah. And then the, 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 the third miracle really is that they get me to the hospital. One of the foremost back surgeons on the West coast saves me the ability to stand, walk and run. Um, he does a surgery on me that was very novel and, and, and went in he, 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 uh, took out all the shattered pieces of vertebrae. I shattered my T12, L1, L2 lower vertebrae into shards, missed severing my spinal cord by two millimeters. Wow. And he went in and restructured my back with titanium. Um, titanium cylindrical cage and mesh wiring, four pins inside my index finger, metal plate inside my palm to my left side. And that's the reason I get to stand, walk, and run. Of the Golden Gate Bridge jump survivors, and there are only... 26 about about 26 that remain alive today mm-hmm. many have died of natural causes or old age um there are 40 in total but many have passed away um of the 26 remaining alive today five of us can stand walk and run mm. they call us the most exclusive survivors club in the world and so i always say kev is that i get to be here yeah i get to be here every waking moment is a gift it's a gift and, and that, that, that is inclusive of no matter the pain I'm in. I still have chronic back pain from what I did. Yeah. 
It plagues me. It's awful. I still have suicidal thoughts. I still have all the symptoms, but I've got this. Yeah. Because I'm making a choice every day to get this. Yeah. I'm making a choice every day to say, um, I'm not suffering. I'm not a sufferer. I'm thriving. I'm a survivor and I get to be here and suffering is a choice. Yeah. Unless you're living in a war-torn country or being ravaged by abuse of some kind, uh, if what you are going through is something that you can change with hard work, you are not suffering. Right. It's a choice. You can choose to thrive despite of the pain. You can choose to hold gratitude inside your pain because you can let it destroy you yeah. or you can let it build you brick by brick from the ground up until you're stronger than ever. Mm. I choose the latter. I choose to thrive. I choose to be strong in the face of pain. I choose to hold gratitude inside my struggles because they make me who I am. They, 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 they haven't defined me, but they have absolutely played a pivotal role in me becoming the resilient person that I, that I have become. Wow. And resilience can be taught. And because it can be taught, it can be learned. Yeah. And I think that people think that what, 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 what bothers me is like, you know, there, there is a lack of resilience in this country. Yes. There's a massive lack of resilience around the world. Yeah. Suicide rates are at an all-time high. Suicide prevention as we know it, the last 70 years of suicide prevention, is not working. Yeah. I travel around the world. <clears throat> I share my story. I make an impact on those lives. I promise you. Yep. I get hundreds of thousands of people write to me, have written to me in 23 years of doing this work and yeah. said, this story saved my life. That's a fact. Yep. That's fine. I'm one person. I'm not in this alone. But what we are doing right now as a whole in suicide prevention is not efficacious. Mm. We need novel ideas. We need young people with new thoughts. We need new, new, we need new blood yeah. in this movement the old, the old tired hats aren't, aren't doing the job. Right. We thank you for all the work you did. Thank you for all the research you put down. Uh, but not everything that is researched is good and not everything that's good needs to be researched. Right. We need to move in a different direction. If we're going to lower the rates of suicide in this country and around the world, I don't know what that direction is, but I know I'm going to be a part of the movement. Yeah, absolutely. We just put a net up on the Golden Gate Bridge. We spent 23 years fighting to raise the net at the Golden Gate Bridge. It is in place. From 2022, when there were 31 suicides, it dropped down to 14. Wow. 51% reduction since the net's been built. And it's even lower now. In January, all of January, where we had, where previously, when the net wasn't there, we had one death at the Golden Gate Bridge every seven to 10 days. Oh. In January, one suicide. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. You know, Reduction of access to lethal means absolutely saves lives. Yep. And I think that um, I think that that's one of the only, I know that statistically speaking, that's one of the only proven ways to reduce suicide. Right. Why aren't we focusing on it? Yeah. As a whole, as a society. Yeah. If we know it's a catastrophic problem that's leading to millions of suicides and that it's the second leading cause of death in most age ranges, yep. why are we not doing everything in our power to stop it? That's what drives me bananas. Why, why does smallpox, which kills one person every you know, 50 years, why does that get 10 times the amount of money in research yeah. than suicide prevention does? Right. How does that make any logical sense unless they want us to die? 
Yeah. Yeah. I had to go on that rant. Sorry. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's true. And, um, I can't count the amount of friends that I've lost to suicide. You know, November of 2019, my sister shot herself at my parents' house, you know, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's heavy, you know, and it's everywhere, you know, it's a, it's a big deal. And it's this hush hush, like around it that I think creates like one thing you're doing is you're letting people know that they're not crazy. Like this is normal. Obviously it's normal to feel like this. Yeah. It's also one thing with these young kids, when I say young kids, I'm 31, but I mean like, you know, high school and, and, and these new generations that are coming out that are always on their phone, which I find myself to be a lot of the times now too. But I mean, like they've grown up with iPads in their faces. They, they're so stuck to technology that they think that they always have to be, uh, always have to have some kind of sensory stimulation and overload going on. And and they think that they always have to be happy. There's this thought that that being unhappy is unnatural. But yeah. do you think it's it's you have to normalize it? It's it, it's a it's a normal feeling. But if you're gonna be unhappy, I, I don't care if you're unhappy. Yeah, I care what you are going to do about being unhappy. Yeah, are you gonna get to the ground and do 50 push-ups and boost your endorphins so you can feel better for even a moment? Yeah, are you gonna go on a walk in nature? and feel that this God's green earth is out there for all of us to experience, and we're ignoring it. Are you going to walk up to your family member and tell them you love them, and that you appreciate them, and that you appreciate all they've sacrificed for you? What are you going to do to change your perspective, change your perception right now? Because I don't want to hear you bitching and moaning about you being unhappy if you're sitting there on your couch doing nothing to change it. Right. I'm sorry. I, 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 I was a person who, who wallowed in self-pity for so long. Yep. I was a person who was afraid to take any forward movement to change my life. I was a person living off of Social Security income because I couldn't bear to work, not because I wasn't capable physically, but because I couldn't even go to work, look people in the eyes and have a conversation with them in order to do the job in the first place. I was absolutely incapable. I broke myself. And then I built myself back up. I got off Social Security disability. I got out of my halfway homes for the mentally ill and I got to work. And I know it's not that simple for a lot of people. I recognize that a lot of people are in a world of pain and a world of hurt, but I promise you I have been there more times than I can count on my hands. Yeah. I've been to 10 psych ward stays between 2000 and 2019 for suicidal crisis and for mental health crisis. After the third involuntary stay, I walked in into those wards and said, I need to be here or I won't be here. Mm. I saved my own life. Take responsibility for your actions. Nobody else can. Nobody else. No one's coming to save you. You must save yourself. Mm. Now, I recognize in the beginning of this, this conversation, I said that all I wanted was for one person to say, are you okay? Is something wrong? Can I help you? There's nothing wrong with wanting compassion. Right your pain and your struggles. That's not what I'm saying. When you get to a place when you've had the pain and the struggles and you've had no forward movement, it's time to get to the ground and get to work or things will never change. Put in the effort, energy, time, and hard work. I promise you things will change. Yeah. And if you don't believe me, 
go to my YouTube channel, go to the Art of Wellness 2.0 video, watch that video, follow the 10-step guide to better brain health. Thousands of people do around the world as far as Peru, Africa, China, Japan, Canada, UK, Ireland, and beyond. In six to nine months, they see a dramatic improvement in their mental health. Yeah. Because they're doing the work daily to change their lives, to change their brain, to change their lives, as the great Dr. Daniel Amen says. Yeah. It's about time to stand up for yourself if you are struggling, not suffering. Yeah. So I want to kind of go back to when you jumped, but before that, before you jumped, what was your, did you have a religious background? Did you have a faith? Like, did, did you believe in God before you jumped and did something change afterwards? I've believed in God my whole life, except for one day. Mm. I believe in God. I've had faith my whole life since I can remember Catholic faith, still have it, still hold it today, go to church, pray every day with my wife multiple times a day. Um, I, I lost my faith when I stood atop the Golden Gate Bridge walkway, looking down. My father is fond of saying at baseball games to his buddies, he found him on the way down. And I did. I called out to God. It was the one thing I did as I fell, is I called out to God and said, please save me. Yeah. And he did. That sea lion didn't come from nowhere. The doctor who saved me the ability to walk didn't, he wasn't supposed to be there that day. Here he was yeah. for me. Yeah. The woman who made the phone call to the Coast Guard that physically got me out of the water. All of those things didn't just happen. They weren't just happenstance. Right. They happened for a reason. And I get this question like, well, you know, if God saved your life, why didn't he save everybody else? Yeah. I don't have the answer to that question. I know in my heart, I know in my gut that God saved my life that day. Yeah. I'll always know that. I'll always pray. Um, and I, I feel so grateful to simply exist. My gratitude level is like the nth degree. It's one of the first things I notice about you. I mean, and, and it makes sense, right? Because you were given a second chance that most people don't get. And when I got sober, I had a similar experience where I prayed to God that I didn't believe in. I was an atheist. Wow. I, I, I had nudges here and there, and I, I didn't believe... I grew up an atheist, um, but I just didn't have a belief, right? And and it's that whole concept of, you know, the Holocaust happened. Like, how can there be a God in this? And and maybe we're here to learn lessons and grow spiritually. I'm not sure, but I can tell you, I don't have the answer, like you said, but I can tell you one thing. When I cried out to a God that I didn't even believe in, as I was sitting in a jail cell in South Boston, Massachusetts, uh, the doors opened up for me and I completely surrendered to something that I didn't know, but somehow subconsciously, somehow deep down, I knew, I don't know how to describe it. I didn't believe it, but I knew that mm. there was something more out there and uh, maybe it was a Hail Mary saying, you know, Hey, if there is a God, like I need your help. But, but it, it was remarkable what happened. And I can't describe that connection and that feeling. I felt invincible for a while. I felt like, oh my gosh, every time I need something, this door just opens up and this person shows up at the right time. And it just, it, it was so remarkable to happen. And, and I also had a, like an out of body experience when I was younger too. And have you ever heard of near death experiences where people leave their body and yeah, of course. connect with God or whatever? Yeah. Well, I had this thing that I thought was a dream. And what I think happened was maybe my heart stopped. I don't know, but it happened when I was sleeping. And basically 
I was out of my body, but I was in a place that was more real than anything I've ever felt. I mean, like it was, it was like space. I don't know how to describe it in, in earthly words. And I sound crazy saying this, like, and, and if you had showed me this when I was 15, I would have been like, this guy's nuts. But I, but I know that what happened was real. And I went through this tunnel and it was, I was surrounded by literally the most amazing feeling ever. The highest level of love that you can't even, you can't even come close to understanding it. And as I was being shot through this tunnel, I realized that I was this like energy body and I was like a starfish. And the faster that I would go, the faster my little arms and legs would wiggle. It was weird. I didn't have a physical body. It was like energy, but I was this different thing. And I had this constant realization of like, I've always been this person. I'm not, I wasn't this Kevin Feely, this character that I thought I was. I made all of this up in, in, you know, how could I possibly think that was it? It was like, I woke up from this dream and I was shot through this tunnel at this insanely, you can't even describe how fast it was. And I remember just feeling this overwhelming love. Like I was in a womb and there was this, just feeling of love. And I, I, I am struggling to explain it, but I remember thinking as the speed progressively moved forward, like a, like a roller coaster going at a million miles an hour. I remember thinking if, if this feeling gets any more intense, this feeling is so good and so pure and there's zero negativity anywhere in this space. If this continues to go, I'm going to pop, I'm going to blow up and I'm going to die. And then I woke up. Wow. And I don't know what that was, but I can tell you that I know that that was something it was more real than real. It, yeah. it, 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 and maybe it was DMT being released while I was sleeping. I don't know, but I'm telling you, I don't know what it was, but I'm telling you, and I've never shared that story publicly. I've told some oh, wow. close friends and family, but, um, I believe that was God. I don't know. Yeah. It, it was just this, this feeling that, uh, if you could put it in a bottle and sell it, it would, it would, everybody would be drinking it every day, all day. It was, Anyways, and it I, wouldn't make you drunk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would, you wouldn't need to be drunk. You'd you just feel, be free yeah. and happy. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to steer off that far. No, I love it. It's great. I think that really that's. I think that's incredible. But have you, other than this experience when you jumped off and the three miracles happened, have you ever had any other similar experiences happen? Like any 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 kind of spiritual experiences or anything where you were like, Oh, that's God. Like there is a God for sure. I have, uh, I, I had, I was dealing with at a certain point in my life, five simultaneous sleep disorders, narcolepsy, sleep apnea, sleep paralysis, parasomnia, and insomnia at the same time diagnosed. Oh my gosh. I wasn't sleeping except for hallucinations. Yeah. I wasn't eating. Um, I would, I'd be talking to you and I just, yeah. And then people would be Kevin, Kevin, you know, and I, I, I was a mess, a mess. And, um, in that I was hallucinating every single day, mm-hmm. all day long. Those hallucinations came in the form of what seemed to be demons, uh, or dark entities. They're, they were the most terrifying looking, 
most horrifying creatures you could ever imagine. And they would assault me in my sleep awake state. Mm-hmm. They would hurt me, stab me, shoot me. They would kill me. Yeah. Over and over again. And I just keep waking up like, uh, you know, like what the hell just happened? Right. Um, now there's a, there's a scientific explanation for this because of the lack of sleep. Right. People who have lack of sleep, lack of REM, REM sleep, um, they ha- this occurs to them. Uh, they, they hallucinate on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, add that to the psychosis you have with bipolar depression, you're in big trouble. Right. So it's actually a commonality between people who have s- severe sleep, uh, severe insomnia, yeah. these kinds of hallucinations. Um, but they felt so fucking real. Yeah, you can cuss on the podcast. So they go, they go. felt so real. Yeah. And, um, you know, I never, I never believed in physical... I've had hallucinations for a long time. I never believed in physical hallucinations. I thought that was something you saw in the movies. Right. That was a bunch of nonsense. So you felt the pain you of felt, it. I felt the pain of it. If 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 uh if the creature took in a shotgun and shot me, I I felt the shot. I felt the blood leave my body. Mm. It was absolutely paranormal. And uh, if they stabbed me, the same thing. Um, or if they burnt me on the with their hands on my neck, it would I would smell the sulfur. Mm. It was visceral. Um, I've never shared this on, on a platform like this before as well. But um, but the only thing. That would make it all go away was when I prayed. Mm. So oftentimes the creatures would make it so I couldn't pray out loud. Right. So I'd pray in my head. When I prayed in my head, they disappeared every time. Would they get angry? Of course. Of course. So it's crazy you say that because I, after that experience that I mentioned, um, I went down this, well, I first off put it away for a long time. I told my girlfriend and one of my best friends at the time that I had this crazy dream and I was in awe and they didn't get it. And, yeah, and then I just never, would. I don't, I, did, I didn't know how to explain it. And then I just kind of, it just kind of went away. Yeah. And in the last five years, probably after my sister's suicide, I started uh, watching near death experience videos where people talk about leaving their body and, and maybe going to like a hellish experience and then yeah. praying out loud. And it's funny you said sulfur because I listened to this guy's testimony last night where this this guy had been shot in a gang-related activity in Chicago. Grew up gang member, ends up getting set up by a friend. Guy comes up and shoots him. And he dies and he ends up being thrown back. And he talks about this experience as if he fell backwards into hell. Like this black void, completely terrible. And one thing that he mentioned was the smell of sulfur was so strong and so terrible. And and basically the stuff that you described is basically what he described. And yeah. when he began to pray in, in all of these experience, which all seemed to line up very, very close to each other when they pray to Jesus or God or whatever it is for them, typically pulls them out of that and yeah. they're saved. And it's just, I don't know if personally, I don't know if this is just something hardwired into our brain, but when I see these, testimonies of near-death experiences where people literally have no physical capability to be trans like their brain is offline yeah but their soul is somewhere else and and these accounts of them seeing their own body and can describe the scene when they shouldn't and it's just it's just it 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 makes me just wonder and i'm i'm open-minded right so i i believe in jesus and i i think that that is kind of where my faith is leading um It just seems to make the most sense to me, but um, 
I, I can tell you that every time I've had a hard time mentally that I've prayed about, I found peace. Yeah. Every time without fail. Um, I'm lucky. We're lucky to have faith. Yeah. So many people do not. I'm not going to push my faith on anybody. I think there's too many people that do that. I think it's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but I, I get where they're coming from. They're coming from a good place. Because the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm. I believe in showing how you have faith. Yeah. In giving back. Showing how you have faith in giving back to this world is the true gift that God can ask for. Because all he wants is for you to be a good person. All he wants is for you to do well in your life, to be a good person, and to give back. That's his sole purpose. That's our sole purpose. And he's given so much to us. And, and as our creator, he's, he's saved all of us. It's our choice to now go forward and do the work, to be kind, compassionate, loving, caring, empathetic, and non-judgmental to every single person we come across, no matter their behavior toward us. Mm. That's a tall order. I don't always meet the mark. I'm not perfect. I have flaws. But I love God, and I know God loves me. That's beautiful. Wow. So, yeah, that's that's deep. Sorry. You, <laughs> you, um, so the lady that worked at the Coast Guard, or that had a friend that worked yeah. at the Coast Guard, so she just, I mean, if you've ever been on the Golden Gate Bridge, it's, it's not like it's ever without traffic, right? I no. mean, late at night, I guess it can, you know, maybe, but, uh, how much, tra- what time was it? It's 10 in the morning. Lots of traffic. Oh, so it's like it's busy. daytime. It's I'm busy. picturing night. No, I don't know 10, why. 10 ever... in the morning and it was a foggy day. It was overcast and she saw me go over and she called a friend for a car phone. It was the yeah. year 2000. So it was not, it wasn't even a cell phone. Wow. Had a cord. Um, but she called me and, and she, she just, she called the Coast Guard friend, and, and and they they got to me. That's, I mean, how many cars do you think go over that bridge in a day? Huh. I mean, rough, I mean, rough estimate. Thousands. Thousands. Maybe thousands. tens of thousands, right? Yeah, maybe. Like, I mean, that's a, I mean, the Bay Area is one of the most we populated. Should, we should fact check that. Yeah. We should look that up. Yeah, I'm going to look it up right now. Look it up right now. If you could guess how many cars do you think it would be? I, I feel like it's five to 10,000. I think it's probably more like 20,000. 20,000 cars a day. Probably, probably Are right. we counting both sides? Both sides, yeah. Shoot. Yeah, you got to count both sides. How many car? How many cars cross the Golden Gate Bridge a day? Oh, it's 100,000? Oh, it's 112,000. 112,000. Okay. So what, what are, are the, the odds? What are the odds of that? How do we look that up? Well, I mean, one in 112,000. I mean, that's, that's yeah. pretty... That's, that's the odds. Yeah. Holy cow. And then the same thing with the surgeon and then with the seal. With the sea lion. Sea lion. Because think about it. Had the lady not interrupted me to take my picture because mm-hmm. the lady interrupted me to take my picture on the bridge and, and to take her picture. I took her picture like five times. Yeah. Had she not done that, would the sea lion have been in the position it was in to bump me to the service to keep me afloat until the Coast Guard would arrive? Mm-hmm. Had she not paused my action for that, for those five pictures, would the sea lion have been there? I think so. I mean, I think yeah. it, I think it was going to happen no matter you think what. It was going to happen no matter what. I I think that it that what happened your life is it was written is yeah. I mean that's it. Yeah. Just seems like sometimes these 
situations happen so perfectly. It's like, yeah. it makes me question if we have free will or if, right. or if we just, go, you know, um, we're just here for the ride. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it just, again, like it, I grew up thinking that when you die, that's it. It's lights yeah. out and that's yeah. over. You sink into the ground. I can't believe that. I can't believe that. I, it's a fucking hopeless way to live. Even yeah, if no. it's true, even if it's true, I will yeah. never believe that again no. in my day because no. if it does happen that way, what was the point? Yeah, like like what, what, I don't have control over it. I feel like when we die, we actually go home. Yes. We go home and and we live the most and, and, and it's the most beautiful, serene, peaceful, honest, loving place in existence. Yep. That's what I believe and I'll always believe that. But, you know, I feel like all these things happened that look, I lived from a near fatal attempt, right? And then hundreds of thousands of people say that my story saved their life. Yes. Right? I'm not owning that. I'm not claiming to be a lifesaver. They're saying it. I'm a conduit. I'm a messenger. God gives me the words. I go on stage. I say them. People go home. They tell their families they're in trouble. They go to their counselors. They say they're in trouble. They go to their friends. They say they're in trouble. They're getting the help they need. Yeah. And they're fighting the suffering to be to to turn it to struggling, but to turn it to hope, healing, and recovery. And they're staying right here. Yeah. That's happening. If I had died, what would have happened to all those people? Well, and you say that you're only one guy, but you connecting, and especially now with social media, one guy can make a hell of an impact. Yeah. And David Meltzer, do you know who that is? Yeah, I, I was just with him the other day. Really? Yeah. Oh, David. Yeah. Well, I was in David's one-on-one -on -one coaching program. Oh, and, incredible. And David, his whole mentality, and my mission is very similar to his. It was inspired by his. But I remember when he told me he wanted to impact over a billion people. And I thought, yeah. man, that's crazy. Like, okay, like that's a, it's a steep goal. But he made it so simple. He was like, look, if I help you and you go help another person, you know, that's two people off of one bit of energy, right? Yeah. That whatever I gave you, then you took that and gave it to somebody else. Yeah. But they're going to give that to somebody else. And then if I can find a way to impact a thousand people and they can go do that same thing. Yeah. And then those people, you know, it's like that, 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 uh, the butterfly effect, right. Yeah. You know, or uh, like when you when you drop a, something in water and you see the ripple effect, like it's just it's you as one person are literally absolutely changing the planet. And it actually when I relooked at your story, I watched a video that I had watched. I want to say like 12 years. When did you start speaking? Uh, the, actually, the first the year, the seven months after my attempt. OK, so, so 2001. I watched a video and I'm pretty sure that you had said that you still lived in a half in like a mental health I did, house. Yeah. Dude, you changed my life because I remember I was struggling with some mental health stuff, which turns out was not very extreme, but it felt like it because I had never dealt with it and I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. Yeah. It was normal. Yeah. But one thing that you said was I am not perfect and I'm not completely healed. I still live with all of these problems, but I push through and I do the right thing and I and I take action, right? Like yeah. basically saying like you can have these mental health issues and you can still live with them and live a great life. And yeah. I remember when you said that and it took me until 
rewatching a bunch of the videos, just trying to, you know, uh, stay updated on the content. I remember watching that when I was in a completely different space in life. Like this must've been a, like maybe 10 plus years ago. I mean, I, I know in the video you were walking across the bridge with somebody and, and anyways, um, but you changed my life. And, wow. and I wonder how much, you know, of, of that I impacted other people with not even knowing, you know? Incredible. So yeah, I just don't ever underestimate yourself because yeah. you one person can yeah. do so much. I mean, yeah. and you're, you're dedicating your life to this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It means the world to me to try to help other people. It means the world to me. So I'll, I'll continue doing it until, until I disappear of natural causes. You know, <laughs> yeah. I had a comment on my YouTube channel the other day, and I, I never let them get to me because uh, everyone has their own perspective. But a young lady said, does he ever get tired of saying the same thing? Mm. Does he ever get tired of telling the same story over and over again? And the answer is no. Yeah. Because every single time I do it, new people tell me how it saved or changed their life. Yep. So just because you're tired of it, you know, that's your, that's your perspective. That's your right. Good luck with that. Go on. Good. Go watch something else. Yeah. <laughs> Why comment in the first place? Yeah. But, but, but I, I get it. And I also will say every time I share it, I get a new, a new fresh person or people that say how it affected them in a positive way. So yeah. I'm going to do it until I, until I'm gone. And, and, and that, that's, that's just, that's in me that I feel that I know that. And, and I know it has a ripple effect. And, yeah. and, and, and that's what I want to say to, to people that are coming up that are thinking of sharing their story. Um, there's a difference between disclosing and sharing, right? Mm. Uh, you, can, you can share your story, but keep some things you hold true to yourself and, and, and you hold private. Keep them private. That's fine. Right. But share the aspects of your story that could have a ripple effect of changing somebody else's life for the better. Right. What lesson can someone learn from you in your struggles to go forth in their life and augment their destiny. Yes. That's what it's all about. That stories are 22 times more memorable than statistics or facts. Yes. And and when you tell it, you know this, when you tell a story in a public setting, whether on a podcast or on a stage in front of an audience or in an article even or in a video, the people, the audience listening, reading or watching, their neural pathways in their brains sync up with yours. Yeah. They hold empathy for what you're going through. Then when they go home and they're struggling, they remember it, their mm -hmm. brains light up and they go, if Kevin can do it, so can I. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Kevin, thank you so much. I thank mean, you. I mean, we're going to have to do another one of these sometime because there's, yeah. there's more to this than just the podcast. And I want to figure out what that is. And, uh, Love that. you know, with my sister, um, you know, I, I, one thing that I learned in AA is the serenity prayer, which basically is, um, if, if you're in a situation that's tough, like my sister committed suicide, there's two things. Like you have to determine whether you can control it. And if you can't, you have to accept it. Right. And when it comes down to my sister committing suicide, there's no going back from that. I can't go stop her. Right. If I could, I would, but I can't. So I have to accept it. And then I have to try and understand what positive stuff I can take away from this. So, uh, I rescue dogs. My sister rescued dogs a lot. We, as kids always would bring home random animals. Like, I mean, like my sister one time brought home a cat and my, my, my mom and dad picked her up from school and she sat in the back of the car and my mom's like, Oh, how's your, you know, how was your day? And she's like, Oh, it's good. You know, 
just blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Regular day. And my mom's looking at her in the rearview mirror and she had a cat sticking out <laughs> of her head and she thought it was, you know, hidden. But, uh, you know, I could just sit and be miserable and just be upset at my sister. But instead, I, I forgive her for it. Yeah. And I'm going to make sure that I share her story and that I save a lot of animals in a foundation under her name, you know? Okay. So, so that's what I'm choosing to do with it. And my message to anybody who's dealing with anything is try to live that serenity prayer. Look it up, put it as your screen saver on your phone and really think about it. Like if you're in a bad situation, you can either accept it or you can let it destroy you, you know? And if you can change it, change it. But um, do you have anything to speak to related to that? You know, I love the serenity prayer. Uh, I would go to AA meetings with my uncle, Ke my, my great uncle, Kevin Joseph Ryan, who I'm named after. I would go to his AA meetings and watch him get his chip every year. Yeah. Um, that's where I learned to tell stories from some of the greatest storytellers on the planet. Yeah. Who've gone through the most harrowing journeys you can possibly imagine, who are still going through some of those harrowing journeys you can possibly imagine. And they're trying to find peace and, and, and tranquility and, uh, and recovery. And um, I just really appreciate you having me on the podcast and, and uh, having me be able to, to share my message. Kevin, thank you so much. Thank Seriously. You, thank you. Guys, if you got something out of this, please do me a favor, share it with five people that you know need to hear this message. Kevin has gone through his whole life spreading positivity and awareness out of a really, really hard situation. And um, he was given a second chance at life. And I really, really respect what he's doing and how he's sharing his story. And uh, if you got anything out of this, just share it with five people. And also, if you need help, go back, watch the part where Kevin talks about raising your hand, telling somebody that you're suicidal and that you need help. And make sure that that person that you think is happy, go lucky, check on them. You know, check on all your friends, but but really the ones that are happy, you know, because if you saw my sister a few days before she committed suicide, you would have thought that she was having the best day of her life. So like, subscribe, leave a comment, uh, go follow Kevin. All of his socials are going to be in the description below. And thank you guys for watching another episode of Thinking Bigger with Kevin Feely. Peace.